Good morning. I feel like I need to start this sermon by saying that um, there's going to be some strange things that happen in this message, all right? <laughs> so someone's excited about that. <laughs> we'll see. Um, a couple of times uh, in this sermon, something's going to strike you as really strange. So I just want to say to you, hang in there, okay? It's going to be worth it, I, I hope, at the end. So don't, just like, what? Okay, don't bail on me. Just hang in there, right? So, so three years, um, three years and three days ago, that would be January 5th, 2020, we started a new uh, decade. It was the first Sunday of 2020, and I launched this thing called the Decade of Discipleship. And that was a phrase that I just felt the Holy Spirit gave me when I was praying for y'all and praying for the new year, the new decade. And um, it, it was just it was a, a, a fascinating phrase because it certainly fit with what our church is all about, but it was a word of encouragement to me and I hope to you that we're nowhere near where we need to be. While we're, we're working on discipleship and our mission statement, many, I, hope, I hope you know If you've been here for a while, our mission statement is leading people in the adventure of becoming like Christ. And we're on track there. We're we're promoting that, pushing that, preaching that, trying to obey God because this is the mission he's given our church, trying to obey him. There was a sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, we're so far from yet accomplishing that. And we need to focus. So for the next 10 years, just really dial in and focus on discipleship because this is the mission He's given to us. And of course, that the last three words, becoming like Christ, that's the discipleship process, right? Discipleship to Jesus Christ is becoming the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And the last word of the mission statement, we turned into an acronym so that we got a good clarity about what does it look like when we are becoming like Christ? No, not this vague sense of, well, I just want to be a better person. No, we saw from the scriptures that Jesus, the Christ, lived connected to God through the word and prayer, that Jesus had a heart of worship, that he related to people with other-centered love. He reached out to people. So we saw this happening in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. So if we're going to become like Christ, this is what it will look like when we're becoming like Christ. And, And while there's wonderful progress being made as a church, I really sense the Holy Spirit saying there's so much more. There's too many people in spectator mode. So if I'm talking to you, okay, here we go. There's too many people watching. By the way, January 2020 was three months. What happened in March 2020? Just tell me. Yeah, how can we forget? And that really changed our church. Um, in so many ways, and we're a different church today in terms of the makeup of people. Those of you who've been around for a while, man, we, our church underwent a huge change like many churches. At least we didn't get closed down like some churches. COVID just shut down churches, and they never started back up. But we're a different church today, and, um, and it brought out, unfortunately, for some people who were sitting in the chairs that you're in today, already in spectator mode, COVID turned them into like diehard spectators and and just watchers. And so church became something people watched. And again, that was already happening 
for many people just sitting and watching worship, watching a sermon, watching people, and then going home unaffected. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, that's not what church is about. It's about taking the mission that God's giving us, being disciples who make disciples. And so this idea of the go make disciples that Jesus gave to us is something that has to keep going from generation to generation. So if you want to take notes, I hope you will, because there's a lot today. Um, the first point is this, this command that Jesus gave us to go make disciples, it absolutely necessitates making disciples of each succeeding generation. So just kind of flesh this out. When Jesus gave his great commission, go make disciples, he spoke to his 12 disciples. At that time, it was 11 because Judas was, was toast. Um, toast, that's an interesting way of saying it. <laughs> that wasn't in my manuscript. <laughs> um, so to the 11 you know, who are his disciples. I want you to be disciples. But then he says to them, those of you who are following me, I want you to make disciples. Go make disciples in, the, in your daily life. Be about making disciples. And then those disciples are supposed to make disciples. And you see the dot, dot, dot. So it just keeps going on to each succeeding generation. And so that commission that Jesus gave them down through all the generations has come down now to us. And we dare not drop the ball. We dare not let this next generation think that following Jesus means coming to church and watching and, you know, clapping here and there. But no, they, all of us are engaged in this mission that God's given our church and really every church to, to make disciples. And so now you know why I'm calling this series Discipling the Next Generation. This is what Jesus had in mind. So you, if you're new with us, you might say, well, how does Church the Open Door go about doing that? If you've been around a while, you know about the discipleship process. You've seen it in the bulletins. I've preached about it. You've seen it on the website. If you're not sure what it is, you can go to our website and you can see an explanation of what our discipleship process is. You don't need to do that right now. Uh, but I'm not gonna preach this right now. I'm just gonna walk through it real quick. That, that Jesus is preaching to the masses, you know, big crowds, and he says to those masses, follow me, be my disciple. He's trying to help them discover discipleship, not just hearing sermons, but following him. And then he says to them, he, gives, he starts preaching the word, giving them the word, and he puts them in groups like the first disciples, we call it the first life group. And he trains them how to do ministry as a lifestyle. And then he puts them, you know, James, Peter, and John into like this, this intensive group. So there is the discipleship process, and we're, we're, we're focused on that. And we're trying to obey the command, me as the lead pastor, trying to cast vision, encourage you, our staff, all in, trying to help us as a church obey the commission that Jesus gave to us. Just because it was 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that it's not relevant today. And even though our church has dramatically changed in, the th in, the, in three years, the mission has not changed. It's still leading people in the adventure of becoming like Christ. And that is why, one of the reasons why we're preaching to the gospel of Luke these days. We launched the gospel of Luke in the fall, and we're just working our way, verse at a time, or a paragraph at a time, one, you know, one chapter at a time, working our way, through the gospel of Luke. Why? Because Luke, the gospel writer, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke, the third gospel, does such a great job of picturing 
discipleship, that it's all about following Jesus so that you can learn from Jesus so that, there's, our, there's that phrase again, become like Jesus. And that, 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 uh, that continuation of, of following to learn, to become, and by the way, when I talk about learning from Jesus, I'm not talking about data. I'm not talking about learning information. I'm actually talking about learning Jesus, learning his way of life, learning what made him tick, learning him so we can become more like him. That picture is painted for us so well in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we started Luke in the fall and, and got to Luke 2 in December, coincidentally, just about the time that Luke talks about the birth of Jesus. And there's all of this information, all these stories and all these pictures and you know it's a Christmas story. Luke tells it better than anybody. He, he goes into greater detail. But you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, if we're just talking about the birth of Jesus, then what does that have to do with discipleship? And if you're thinking that, way to go. You're tracking with me. You know, I started the sermon talking about discipleship, and now that we're going to get into the text, we're talking about the birth of Jesus. So turn to Luke 2. And, you know, like I said, we've, we've talked through these, um, these verses, his birth, the angels announcing. I don't hear anybody turning to Luke 2. Bring your Bible today. Turn to Luke 2. Um, and then the angels, you know, last week, Pastor Bob preached a great sermon about the, the angels uh, talking to the shepherds and the shepherds then spreading the word. And so today in our text, Jesus is eight days old. He's, he's, he's a brand new baby. He still smells like an infant, you know? And so he's eight days old, and you think to yourself, what does that, an eight-year-old baby Messiah Jesus, what does that have to do with discipleship? Well, Luke decides, unlike Matthew, Mark, and John, the other gospel writers, he not only gives us a lot of pictures of the birth of Jesus, explaining it, he then gives us pictures of Jesus's parents um, training Jesus. We see pictures of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke being parented by Joseph and Mary. Instead of just rushing to the teaching of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, Luke takes some time to talk about the parents of Jesus. And what do you know, if you're taking notes, parenting is discipleship. That's a new thought to some of you. You thought parenting was something else. But even if you're not a Christian, parenting is discipleship. You say, how can that be? Because every parent is discipling, training, because that's what the word disciple means. It means to train um, the verb. You're training somebody in a way of life. You're training somebody in a philosophy or training them in, in, a, in methods. So, this is a surprise to some of you. The word disciple was not invented by the church. Jesus didn't invent the word disciple. It's not a religious word. It can be used in a religious or a spiritual way, but the word has existed a long time to simply talk about apprenticeship or, or passing on, again, a, a way of life or a philosophy. So the, the core of, of disciple is someone who's devoted to follow the teaching or methods of another person. So the verb to disciple somebody is to teach them that. So teach them how to be a blacksmith. 
Teach them how to be a philosopher. Teach them how to you know, model for them how to live this kind of life. In fact, this language that which the disciple means at its core then gets translated into parenting because that's what parents do. And this is not even if you are thinking about it. Every parent, whether they're thinking about it, whether they're being intentional or not, they're training. If you're a parent here today, you're training your kids. And if you're not doing it intentionally, you are doing it unintentionally. They're picking up from you what's important to you, what your values are. Not just because of what you say, but because of the way you live your life. And every parent needs to understand, I am training. I, I, you know, whether I'm an absent parent or whether I'm a present parent, I'm training. I'm teaching my kids what's important. I'm modeling for my kids and they're picking it up what is important. So I wanted to spend a couple of seconds at the beginning here helping you see this idea of disciple is, is built into this passing on to the next generation. For instance, I, did, I just went to the headlines, the news headlines, and grabbed three headlines recently. Um, this, this, this is from a couple of days ago, referring to Kevin McCarthy, the new Speaker of the House, and the, the, the article was talking about Trump, President Trump's disciples. Is that followers of Jesus? <laughs> no. This is, this is a political thing. And then in the sports world, uh, University of Purdue hiring a new offensive coordinator. That's what OC is. And they wanted to hire a disciple of this famous coach, Mike Leach. Or then how about this one from the Tennessee Tribune? The, tr- the, the gang called the Gangster Disciples. <laughs> so in those three quick headlines, we see disciple used as a politician, disciple used as a football coach, disciple used as a gang member. This is not about following Jesus. It's just talking about passing on to that next generation. And this is why parenting is discipling and why we say every parent is training, discipling their kids. So here's the question. The question is not, am I discipling? You are, you're training. The question is, what am I training my kids to do? What am I discipling my kids to be? What am I teaching my kids about what is important in life? So for instance, most parents today, um, sports is what they're trying to disciple their kids to. That's the most important thing. Even tons of Christian parents. And so you have, everything is built around, you gotta do good in sports. I'm starting you at age four or three because I want you to be successful because that's my vision for you. That's my dream. That's what's important to me. And kids pick that up without parents even saying it. Or it could be something else that the children see from the emphasis of the parent what they're discipling and then training them to be. So I want every parent here to ask the question, what are my kids picking up from the way I live, from the way I parent, what are they picking up about what is most important? Because that's what they'll become. That's where they're taking their marching orders. Now, if you're here today and you're like, I'm not a parent, Jim. And honestly, I don't want to be a parent. I don't even care about parenting. Cool. Well, whatever. (laughs) This sermon series is not just about parenting because parenting is discipleship. This series is also about discipleship. So, you know, as a church person, a person who belongs to Church Open Door, we're all about discipleship. So this is for people who are parents or want to help other people with parents, or this is for people who are just saying, I want to be a better disciple. I want to be a biblical disciple. In other words, this series is for all of us. And let me just kind of reiterate this idea that parenting is discipling the next generation. 
So as we walk through the next series, next couple of weeks, you're going to pick up all kinds of stuff about discipleship. You're going to pick up all kinds of stuff about parenting. And, and we're going to learn that discipling next generation is, is tied into how parenting actually is discipleship. So what Luke wants, back to Luke 2, what Luke wants us to see while he spends so much time talking about Jesus' parents, he's trying to cast a vision for, for godly parenting. And for really, for 2,000 years, children's ministries directors, children's ministries pastors, parents, anybody who's worked with kids who loves Jesus wishes that the Bible spent more time talking about how did Joseph and Mary parent Jesus? What was Jesus like as a five-year-old? What was, you know, as I'm trying to parent my five-year-old, what was Jesus like when he was five? I know he was perfect, but can you tell me some stories? Nothing. How about when he was seven? Nothing. How about when he was 10? Nothing. How about when he was 12? Oh, we have one story about when Jesus was 12. Parents who want to, you know, parent their children to be more like Jesus wishes there were more stories about Jesus as a child, as a teenager, you know, what was it like when Jesus went through his hormonal change, when he's, his voice changed? You know, when Jesus went from a high, squeaky, 10-year-old voice to a deeper voice. Did Jesus go through that? Yes. Did Jesus have B.O.? Yes. Jesus was a human being, and he went through all of the changes that happened in a child, and he navigated all that, and his parents helped him through that. Don't think for a minute, because Jesus is God, that somehow he did not experience everything that humans experience. Temptation pimples, um, confusion about, you know, you know and, and I don't understand some things. I'm just three. Jesus did not have a full-fledged theology of God the Father at age three. I know it's surprising some of you. When did Jesus fully understand? I don't know. Was it five, six? It was earlier than I did for sure. But I would love to know more about Jesus as a kid, wouldn't you? And those of you who care about parenting your children, you wish there was more about Joseph and Mary. Well, while there's not as much as we want, God has been opening my eyes to some things I've never seen before. And I've developed this whole series on parenting as discipleship because of the things he's shown me. And I'm telling you, there are so many awesome things about parenting that Luke wants to teach us. So I'm gonna start today with one verse. I intended to preach five verses today, but God showed me so much, I, I, I whittled it down to one verse, and this is where it gets strange. So find Luke chapter 2, and our verse for today, because last, last week we had finished at verse 20. So today is verse 21. So if you want to stand to your feet, we'll read verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. Here we go. On the eighth day, when it was time, here's the strange part, to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I know I just had you stand up, but now you can sit down. Why do I want you to stand up just to read one verse? Because I'm trying to train you. What? I'm trying to train all of us to honor the word of God. I'm trying to invite us to bring our Bibles, to keep them open, to honor God's word. It's just a small thing, but it's a big thing. It's a part of the training process. Now, some of you have just turned me off completely. You didn't even hear the last 60 seconds because once I used the word circumcised, you were like, huh? And those of you who brought your Bible but didn't open it up, opened it up when I said the word circumcision, you're like, what is, 
wait, whoa, whoa, is this sermon about parenting or about discipleship? I'm not sure, but now I'm wondering, is this sermon about circumcision? Whoa, 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 is Jim about to make circumcision a part of our discipleship process at Church of the Open Door? Someone said, yes, no, <laughs> no, relax. <laughs> We're gonna talk about circumcision, but and this is where it's gonna get strange for some of you, but, but just chill out. I'm not gonna explain circumcision because you already know what it is, all right? Um, but, but I wanna ask the question, <laughs> Why does Luke bring this up? I mean, who really cares? So point three, oh, why does Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, even bother to mention circumcision? And this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit was just like, open all these things. Because most preachers, uh, and I would have been the same way, just cruise through verse 21 because you don't want to talk about circumcision. And what does it have to do with you know, following Jesus anyway? So let's just cruise through the next verses. But he just kept saying, stop, Jim, slow down. It's always a good word for me to hear. Slow down, slow down. There's something I want you to see here. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm all eyes, I'm all ears, let's go. And so where he took me was the very first place in the whole Bible that the word circumcision appears. And it's in the book of Genesis, which uh, if you'll turn with me, I'm going to give a little commercial for our church-wide devotions. We've started a new year, so a new format of our church-wide devotions. And you can get these on our website. This is a picture of our daily devotion page on our website. Here's a picture of a hard copy that we print out every week for that week, a fresh set of new devotions. And what we're doing this year which we haven't done for 11 years, is we're gonna read through the Old Testament as a church. For the last 11 years, we've been reading through the New Testament every year, focusing in on the Gospels. But this year, we're gonna read through the whole Old Testament. And so this hard copy that you can pick up at every campus, every week, there's a, a, a pile of printed out copies that you can grab at all of our campuses that take you through that week's devotions. If you do that this week on Tuesday, you're going to come to this passage about circumcision. So this is just like a perfect, you know, fit. So if you're already doing that, like today, yesterday and today, the devotions were mentioned this guy named Abram. And so Abram's story is that God speaks to him, God appears to him and says, dude, I'm, I'm about to do something in your life that's going to blow your mind. So I want you to get these church-wide devotions so you're reading along. If you want to get it on the app, you can also, here's our church app where our daily devotions are. So you can get that. So, so Genesis chapter 17, find chapter 17. And um, God's appeared to Abram and said, I, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abram says, what, time out, I'm 99. And my wife and I haven't had a kid yet. Did you notice that, God? I mean, in order to be a great nation, I have to have at least one kid. And God snickers, goes, stay with me, Abraham, or stay with me, Abram, because the name Abram means father. In the next couple of verses, God's gonna give Abram a a custom to start following. And with that is gonna be a new name. That new name is Abraham. You know the name. We sang about it today. The God of Abraham, the covenant. So Abraham means father of multitudes, which is so funny because Abram doesn't even have one boy yet, one kid yet with his wife. 
And yet God's saying, I'm changing your name to father of the multitudes. And now we get to verse 10 of chapter 17, (laughs) where God says, this is my covenant with you, Abram, and your descendants. I don't have any. I know. And the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. I know you're not listening, Abraham, so let me say it again. You are to go undergo circumcision. And it will be a sign, the, the sign of the covenant. Three times this word appears. The sign of the covenant between me, God says, between me and, and you and your descendants who will become the people of Israel. This is where it all gets started. For the generations to come, So he's looking way down the road. Every male among you. Did you notice in Luke chapter two that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to get him circumcised on the eighth day? Joseph and Mary are going all the way back to this passage in Genesis, like several thousand years. They're going back to the moment that God started the covenant with Abram changed his name to Abraham and said, from now on, every male on the eighth day needs to get circumcised. And this is, so the first thing that Luke wants us to to remember and to recognize is this idea of circumcision reminds us that it's a physical sign of the covenant between God and the Jewish people. Why mention circumcision? Because two things about Jesus. Number one, he'll be a child of the covenant. He's not skipping the covenant. Remember, Jesus is the one who brings the new covenant, but God's not saying the old covenant's bad or the old covenant's not necessary. No, Jesus is born in the covenant, under the covenant. And I want parents who will understand the importance, God says, the importance of keeping covenant. And so from the very beginning, Joseph and Mary, eight days old, they're keeping covenant. They're, they're obeying something that's several thousand years old because God is saying this is for every generation. And so this is so huge. And so what God does when he says to Abram, I'm gonna give you a new name, Abraham. I'm gonna give you this new custom. I'm gonna ask you to do this, command you to do this for every boy on the eighth day forever for the next succeeding generations. And this will be a sign of this covenant we're making. And this is a part of my training plan. See, see the, the covenant is the idea of God's promises, God's instructions, God's agreement with, the, with the, the Jewish people. These promises that I'm making, these instructions that I'm giving you, these, um, these uh, uh, um, pictures of what I'm painting for you about the, what you will be. This is all about my training plan to be your father, God says, and you be my children. You know, God says in Jeremiah 31, I am Israel's father. So is he the God? Yes. Is he the transcendent God? Yes. But he says to Israel, you're my children. The Bible over and over ago calls Israel my son. The nation of Israel are God's children. The children of Israel are the children of God. God's picking this parenting metaphor, this father metaphor, and says, I'm birthing you. Abram, you're the first. I'm birthing a whole new nation. 
but not only am I going to birth you, I'm going to train you. I'm going to parent you. And I'm about, over the next couple of books of the Old Testament, to unveil my overall training plan because he's father, a parenting plan. And I'm going to kind of depart from the notes. If you're taking notes, I'm going to depart from the outline just for a couple minutes um, to help you get a, a, a first picture, a first insight into God's parenting plan for his own people. This is so cool because this is the parenting plan Joseph and Mary are following. God handpicked Joseph and Mary because he knew they would follow his plan. By the way, I believe every single child has, God, God has handpicked the parents of that child. It's not an accident. God handpicks parents to be the parents of that child. And so if you're a parent today, God handpicked you to be the parent of your kids. Isn't that incredible? So it's, 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 we see this with Joseph and Mary, and God says, I need parents like that who will grasp and follow my parenting plan that I'm going to parent and train the nation of Israel. So let me give you a quick insight into this. It's got seven components to it. And this is so cool. The Holy Spirit just showed me this this past week. I've never studied this, never seen it. I, I kind of didn't, I didn't make it up. I just kind of discovered it. And I'm only going to give you three. The first thing is that God creates these customs, and circumcision is one of these. There's a whole bunch of customs God gave the Jewish people. Why? To emphasize, to teach, to model a God-centered life. I want you to always remember, Israel, that I'm the center of your life. I'm the center of your nation. I'm the center of your family. And I want you to pass on to your children this idea that, that this covenant that we have is about me being central. I don't want you to be like the pagans around you. I don't want you to be like the culture around you who've got gods who do this and God do that. No, I want to be the center. This is what it means to be in the covenant with God, that he's the center of your life. And all the way down through the years, today, a lot of people have completely misunderstood God's heart for covenant. And we've turned God's parenting plan into a bunch of rules. We've, we have the shell. We have a hollow bit of God's overall parenting plan. And we wonder why our kids rebel. We don't, we have not, we are not training God-centered kids. So God says these customs, you know, um, the mikvah baths, the purification, the, the, the circumcision, the, the celebration of Sabbath, the festivals, the feasts, the, all these things that I'm, these customs that I'm giving you, it's all to constantly remind you, Israel, I'm your father, I'm your God. Make me the center of your life and pass this on to your kids. I mean, even the giving of Torah, which is the, the, usually called the first five books of the Bible, sometimes the word Torah gets translated the law, but that's not the way it was first understood. Torah is instructions. It's teaching. M many Jews today understand Torah is the instructions from God for how to live a God-centered life. Guidance, um, a pathway to how to live a God-centered life. But God was so intent on teaching the people of Israel, make me the center. Don't make me an accessory. Don't pursue your own vision, parents. Don't pursue your own goals and then add me as kind of like a sidecar 
or add me into your family. No, I'm not an addition. I'm not an accessory. I'm not a part of your portfolio. I am to be the center of your life. People don't want to hear this. They, they have their own goals for their kids. They have their own goals for their family. And God's going, when you make something else the center, you will lose all that I have intended for you. The blessings, the the life, the abundant life. It's not found by adding God. It's found by making God central. And God wanted the people of Israel to understand this centrality so much that when it came time to build the tabernacle, which was taught in the Torah, he literally said to them, put this tabernacle in the center of the, you know, where they, all the Israelites are living. Here's a picture of what that may have looked like. Here's the tabernacle. Here's the, you know, the, 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 the um, enclosure around it. So this is where they made the sacrifices. This is where they did the prayers. This is where God said, I will dwell. Over and over again, God says, I will dwell in your midst. I'm not a far off God. I'm not a God who's way out there. I will be among you. I will walk among you, a prophecy about the Messiah. I will be in your midst. I will be in the center. And so when he says to them, build the tabernacle, he says, put it in the center of where you all live. And so on the, the first circle, I don't know, can you see this? The first circle around the tabernacle is the, is the tribe of Levi because they're the, the priests. They handle all the holy things and they do the sacrifices. They're the ones that, that are the closest to the presence of God, which dwells in the center. And then out here are the rest of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God actually in Numbers gives instructions in the book of Numbers of to where each tribe is gonna be. And you, they're not supposed to be right up close. That's where the Levites are. So I look at that, I'm like, even in the, the physical, excuse me, placement of the tabernacle, God's saying, I wanna be center. I know there will be temptations in your life. This is true for 2023. Listen carefully. God says, I know there will be temptations in your life to make something else central. Fight it. Make me the center of your life. The goal is a God-centered life. So the custom of circumcision, you see, it's just one small thing of God's overall plan to train, to parent his, his children and for them to pass on to their children in each succeeding generation. And so you have these passages from like Genesis where it talks about, you know, not just the sign of circumcision, but keep doing this. For generations to come, this is to be observed. You don't skip this. This is not an option. This is a command. It was a custom to be observed in every succeeding generation. And actually, when you read through the Old Testament, you can see how some Israelites got this, and they understood God's to be center. God is to be central, and I'm supposed to pass that on to my kids. For instance, Psalm 78, they, the people saying, we will tell the next generation, oh, there's that phrase, about the glorious deeds of the Lord. We just did that here in the Lyric campus, talking about the glorious things that God has done, about his power, his mighty wonders. For he gave him instructions, that's the Torah. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded Every parent needs to see this word. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them. And that they in turn will teach them to their own children. So each generation should set its hope on God. 
Our eyes are fixed on you. You're the center of our life. You are the focus. You know, Jesus would say later, later, seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. Make God center and do this for each succeeding generation as you train your children. Here's the parenting plan. If a kid doesn't learn to, to make God center and to understand what that looks like, there's a very slim percentage chance, stats have proven this, that if a kid does not come to Christ, if they don't understand a God-centered life, by the time they're age 14, the chances of them of them becoming a Christian, following Jesus, living a God-centered life, are very, very, very small. Why is that? Because God knew that the home is the very best place to model, to teach this God-centered living. Again, not church-going once a week, shallow Christians, but people who are living their whole life for God, to the glory of God, making God central and passing that vision on to their children. And that's why God chose Joseph and Mary for little Jesus to be parented by parents who grasped how important this is. So circumcision is an act of parents obeying God. It happened at day eight, so there's never been a child in the history of the world who said at day eight, hey, isn't the day, isn't day today circumcision? Mom and dad, don't forget, circumcision today, get it on your calendar. No, kids can't even talk at age day eight. So it's the, hey, even though it happens to the kid, it's the parents who are making it happen. They're charged with obeying God. And every parent, every parent is charged with obeying the commands that God gives. That's why you have a child. This is a holy, sacred thing, isn't it? This is not a, this is not a small thing. And the reason we have such tragic stories in our world today is because our, our world has ignored God's command and says, I know what's best. I know best how to raise my kids. It are my kids. I know what's best for them. And so we teach them a couple of laws. We teach them a couple of things here and there. And we just kind of let them do their own thing. Or we make them little clones of us who try to pursue wealth and success and, and, and other kinds of goals. And we ignore why did God choose Joseph and Mary to be the parents of Jesus? Because he knew they would obey him. They would make God central. They would remember passages like Psalm 78, teach it to your children. They would remember passages like Genesis 17. Or how about one of the most famous passages in the whole Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, where God says, these commandments, not suggestions, that I give you today, are to be on your hearts. Many of you know these verses. Impress them on your, everybody say out loud this word with me. Press them on your, this is our responsibility. Again, this is what discipleship looks like as well. So parenting and discipleship, same thing. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. How do you make God central? Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, when you brush your teeth. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, saturate the environment of children with God. He's already omnipresent, but help your kids see that God's here 
that God's working. Just because you physically can't see his presence, I want to train you children to recognize that God's at work. God's at work in your life, sweetheart, son, honey. And all my parenting days, I want you to, I want to cast that vision for you to see that God's working in your life. And he, he has his hand on you. And your life will be so much better if you will make God the center of your life. Now, is this countercultural? You better believe it. And so we need to train our kids. If you live a God-centered life, you're going to go against the grain of culture. Guess what? This is tragic. You also may go against the culture of the church you're a part of. Because the church is full of people who just want to add God to their life and don't want God to be center of their life. Train your kids. You're going to be living a, cross, a, a counter-cultural life. Get ready. Get them ready for the hate. Get them ready for the ridicule. Get them ready for what it's like to live to the glory of God, a radical God-centered life. But we're afraid of that. And so we just kind of water it down and say, well, you should, have, you should have some religion. You should know some Bible. I'll take you to church. I might even send you to Open Door Christian School. Way to go. Great school. But they can't take the place of your job as a parent. My prayer is that some of you today will take that challenge. God gave me my kids that I would model, teach, train, nurture a God-centered child. But back, back to the circumcision, this, this command that God gave, this small part of his overall plan that we'll talk in much more detail next week. I'll show you all seven parts of that overall plan. <laughs> can't wait, but I have to. Um, this circumcision is also linked in our passage in Luke chapter 2 and in Genesis 17 to another very important thing. And that is, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named. Is that an accident? It just happened to? No. When God commanded Abraham, or when God commanded Abram to get circumcised, he changed his name. And from then on, on the eighth day, when a child was circumcised, that's when they named them. It happened with John the Baptist earlier in Luke 1. It happened for every godly family when they have tried to obey God. On the eighth day of the, of the boy's life, they named him. And of course, what is in a name? Oh, this, this is huge. And so this whole idea of naming became a part of this overall plan. Circumcision was always done with the naming of the child. Why is that important? Oh, you, you know the answer. What does a name do? It gives you identity. You're now a person who's on the way to discovering who you are. We named you. And, and there's nobody else that has your name unless your name is George Foreman. Then you have eight kids named George. Check it out. But, you know, your name begins your identity. It begins you to help you see who you are. Now, notice, this is huge because this, really, this is really going on in our culture right now that parents are saying to children, you can figure out who you are by yourself. You don't like your gender? Change it. I know you're only eight, but that's your prerogative. Oh, you don't like your name? Change it to a girl's name, to a boy's name. You can be anything you want to be. Ignoring that God made you a male or God made you a female. That's, that's, that's part of his identity package. He made you. So it's like, the, it's like an act of spitting in the God's face when you said to a child that God gave you 
ah, oh, you can figure this out, whatever gender you want to be, whatever name. I know, I know I'm preaching against culture right now, but we need to stand up and recognize what God is trying to do in our world and through our children and not just give in to our culture around us. I don't care how popular it is or how good it sounds. I'm being a, a loving parent, letting them decide. No, you're not. No, 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 you're not. You're destroying that child. You're taking away the identity that God gave them and you're introducing confusion. I mean, childhood is confusing enough, let alone trying to figure out what gender am I? You know, I don't know, I don't know who I am, I'm eight. And that's why God gave you parents to, to, to help you understand who you are. And, and parents, don't give this role to anybody else. It's your role. And all of the childhood, because there's confusion being in a child, especially today. I mean, everybody around me is, is, is confused. So I don't, I'm confused. No, not in a home where our parents are teaching a God-centered life and giving them identity. When they get the confusing message, even if they might kind of lean toward a little bit, eventually they'll come back, train up a child in the ways to go. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. But it's your job. Don't give that job to anybody else. But it's not only identity. Circumcision and naming, going together, also is a picture of belonging. Because when you're circumcised as, as the boy, you're, you're brought into the family of God as a Jew. You're brought into the Jewish family, into the children of God. Your identity now is not only a male or a female, but a child of God, a part of the covenant. And that identity fits with belonging. I belong to God. What a message to send to your kids. Your, your kids don't belong to you. They don't belong to themselves. They belong to God. They're made in the image of God. They belong to God. So as a parent, you're, you're teaching them your identity. You're helping them see that they belong to God. It's not just who we are, but whose we are. And when, when God gave this custom of circumcision and naming, he was trying to pass on the all-important task of helping your kids understand their identity helping them understand from a young, young age who they belong to. And so let's, let's get long. Let's wrap this up. So, so the, the lesson about circumcision is, is not that you should circumcise your children. I mean, that's great for health reasons, but you know, we're, I'm not talking to a lot of Jewish people right here. So the, this sermon's not about you should go out and circumcise. And it's definitely not that circumcision is a new part of our discipleship plan. No, no, no. What's the point? What's the lesson here that God wants us to see, that Luke wants us to see? And here's what I think it is. Two things. Number one, to see that Jesus' parents were committed to parent Jesus the what God has committed. We're gonna see next week and the week after that, over and over again, that Luke is gonna picture Joseph and Mary obeying God. Joseph and Mary obeying God. Joseph and Mary parenting Jesus the way God commanded. And God chose Joseph and Mary to be Jesus' parents because they were committed to parent Jesus the way God commanded. And the second thing is for you and I to see that Joseph and Mary provide a great model. This is what I hope to show you over the next couple of weeks. An incredible model for how to parent in 2023 in a way that's godly, in a way that will nurture what? Nurture what? What's the primary task of parenting? Now today, you'll get all kinds of answers. Maybe the most popular one is, to, is that they're healthy. They have a healthy self-esteem. But you know, both of those are wrong. 
Is it good for a kid to have a healthy self-esteem? You better believe it. But that can't be the primary goal. It's a secondary goal. Well, what about being successful? Oh, I want my children to be successful. But that's not the primary task. See, if you get mixed up between primary and secondary, you'll lose what's primary. If you make a secondary goal primary, you'll lose what's most important. So yes, care about your child being healthy, socially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, yes. Care about your children having a strong self. Care about your children being successful and how that gets defined. Care about your children being well-adjusted. These are all things that people say today. But these cannot be the primary. So what is the primary task of parenting? I'm, I hate to say what I'm about to say, but there is a, there is a, maybe the most pastor, most famous pastor in America right now, um, or maybe the most influential pastor in America, evangelical church loves this guy, most of what he says, very, very popular, selling things like crazy. Everybody wants to hear what he has to say. And he, there's a lot of great things come out of his mouth, no doubt about it. I've been helped by this guy. He's releasing a book right now called Parenting, he and his wife. And chapter one is all about identifying in his language, it's not what's the primary task, it's what's the it? What's the goal? What's the goal of parenting? Keep this goal in mind. Keep this primary task in mind. All throughout your parenting, keep this in mind. I couldn't agree more. Whether you call it the it or the goal or the primary task, you better have a vision for your child or they'll never reach it. So what is it? And this best-selling, popular pastor says, I just read it. I had to read it twice because I, I couldn't believe it. He says the goal should be that when your kids grow up, they'll be friends with you. And, and I want my kids, well, they're grown up now. I want them to be friends with me. <laughs> That's very important to me. But the primary task? I mean, I'm taking a couple of seconds, even though I'm over time, by big time, to help you see how tragic this is. That cannot be the primary task. You will parent poorly. You're ignoring what God says is the primary task. And we've talked about it the whole sermon so long. So we, be to, we should all be able to fill this out now. What is it? God-centered children. When you parent towards that, all the other stuff will be thrown in. Remember what Jesus said? Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else will be added. So, you know, different way of saying it. Center, their, center your children's lives around God. Put God first in their life. Jesus' words. Seek first the kingdom. Teach them their, their days, Deuteronomy 6, are centered around God. Show them how to do that. Show them how to do that. Teach them how to live all of life for God's glory. That's all saying the same thing, to help train your kids to be God-centered. Now, am I about to say that if you'll do this, your kids will be God-centered? No. Listen, no, because your kids have a will. The greatest parent ever who practiced perfect parenting had his kids rebel. You can read the story in Genesis chapter one and two. God the Father creates a perfect environment for Adam and Eve, but says, I'm gonna give you a will. You're not gonna be a robot. And they chose to rebel. So when you feel like you're a failure as a parent, I'm trying to make God center in their life, but they don't get it. God gets that. <laughs> he knows what it's like. I mean, look at Israel, the rebellious children of God. Okay, stop looking at Adam and Eve. Stop looking at Israel and look at yourself. 
God has never parented us poorly, and yet so many of us choose to do our own thing. So it's not a, it's not a perfect formula, but it is a perfect goal. Make God the center of your children's life, which, by the way, the primary task of parenting is the same thing as the primary task of discipling. We say discipling is to help someone become like Jesus, but who modeled better than Jesus a God-centered life? Amen? Nobody. That's why we say we want to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to become like Jesus, because he lived a God-centered life. And that's what your goal of discipleship is. That's what your goal of parenting is. It's the same thing. That's why parenting is discipleship. Same goal, to help your kids become more like Jesus, to live God-centered lives, that, that God becomes the vision of their life. So when they're spending money, when they're making decisions, when they're picking spouses, when they're going, picking schools, when they're picking friends, whatever they're doing throughout their life, God is the center. Come on. God's the center of their life. That's God's vision. That's why he made us in his image. And that's why he says, the very best I have for you awaits when you learn to center your life all around me. So let's pray. Oh God, I want that for my life in the remaining days. I want that for the, my wife, my children, my family, this church, every person here, every son and daughter, every parent, every person that, that's following you. I want this for everyone. You would teach us how to live God-centered lives. And you would help us that you would become our vision, that you, that you would become our all in all, our center, our glory. And to that end, we pray, Holy Spirit, fill us, help us. In the next weeks to come, as we unpack this vision of parenting and discipling, God, help us. <laughs> Parenting is harder today than it's ever been. Discipleship is harder today than it's ever been. We need your help. We ask for it in the name of Jesus, Savior, our Lord.